Well, welcome to the Memoirs of Abiding podcast. I'm Chris Bryant. We wanted to start something a little different and counter to what many have been taught or learned through experience. Our topics will be practical and theological, focusing on what the early church thought. What we are going to talk about isn't some new idea, but rather an old idea gaining traction again. Our tell is sharing our experiences and looking at the Bible in this material. Our ask is that you will take it into your own devotion time and ask the Lord how to best apply it. We will talk about this material each week. We have blogs addressing practical applications at www.memoirsofabiding.com. We hope you experience God through talking about His Word with us. Welcome back to the Memoirs of Abiding podcast. We've been talking about some of the isms, and this week we're going to shift from the isms into hopelessness. So we're going to jump in there today. And to jump in here, I have my co-host, Ricky. Ricky, welcome back. Thank you for continuing to invite me. I appreciate it. Yeah, the thing is set to auto-invite, so I don't have a choice. But, you know, it's always, <laughs> it's always good to have you on here. <laughs> yeah. And um, Allison was not able to make it this week, but she gave some input on that. So we'll be getting some uh, input from her as well. So talking about this idea of hopelessness, what where do we see this most? What's the what's the driving force of hopelessness? Ricky, I, I'm sure as the, a counselor, uh, especially in church, you've seen a lot of this go around. So what are some of the situations or kind of the backgrounds that you see hopelessness come up? Well, as a pastor, I think I think folks in church know what pastors do. I think people outside of church might not, but probably on any given day, there is more human interaction in the sense of the kind of talk counselors do going on with pastors than anywhere else in the world. How so? But then, then I'd be really quick to say, I don't do counseling like most people would think of counseling because in all Christians are involved in the process of growing and helping one another grow by thinking of what is done wrong versus what could be done better by imitating the Lord Jesus Christ, which is really what it means to abide and not only to become more like Jesus, but to learn how to hear from, from God through studying his word. So all of that involves the process of positive change, which is what psychological counseling is attempting to do. So we're always engaged in people's lives, whether it's, you know, any type of adversity, death, divorce, disease, um, depression, on and on it goes. And it, it comes through all the multiple ways humans endure the negative aspects of life. So too much of that, and people lose hope. Depending on the individual, what does too much look like, right? Some people have a greater capacity for endurance, and others have less. We try to learn to be more durable, and all that's a, a process of, of growing. And so, you know, the biggies in my world are broken relationships, broken dreams. That can include, you know, not having enough financial capacity, not having enough friends, not having enough connections. All the things that we typically think about, we hear about through social media or reading 
movies, all of those things are common to every man, woman, and child. So I don't know. I don't know if there's any places in particular that's bigger. Yeah. So one thing that came to my mind, you know, Ricky, you served in the army for a number of years. I was in the Navy. And when you say, you know, some, I don't want to say fall prey to this, but are more likely to find hopelessness over others. It makes me think of the war movies where you have some that are in the battle and they just, their mind cracks, the foxhole syndrome or whatever, where they're in there. and Or, you know, on a submarine, we hear um, a lot where there'll be one or two people that just crack when they're being depth charged or in a, a very intense situation that they don't think they're going to make it out of and they just flip out. Same on airplanes. So if there's a, a potential crash coming and, you know, we see it in the movies, right? The one person who's just flipping out. But I think that, I mean, that doesn't necessarily tell you anything overall as far as hopelessness. And you can't just test for that stuff. That's the thing that comes up when those situations arise. But I think also something that we should pay attention to is in children without the tried and true situations of life, something that may as a parent or as a, an educator or as an adult, something that to us may seem minor given everything we've experienced. I think in children, that can be much worse. And I'll use myself as an example. In seventh grade, I had a period of hopelessness. I had gotten through the loss of my grandpa, which was a huge blow to me. He was like a father to me growing up, taught me a lot of ethics and things. But then I kind of got into this funk in life where I just didn't feel like I was worth a, a being. And I had tried finding identity in Wicca. I tried to find identity in hurting others. It was it was a bad season, seventh, seventh grade. But I finally came to the end of the leash and I said, why am I even here? This is such a hopeless life. And I had contemplated twice committing suicide back then. And if I looked at it now, I'd say, but... There is no major trauma in my life. But to me, in my mindset, the puberty slash prepubescent mind, that was the worst thing in the world. I just didn't feel love. In spite, you know, my mom talking to me and and having conversations with her, despite my dad taking me out on the boat and doing stuff. Wasn't like I was just left at home and ignored, but to the the prepubescent and the the pubescent mind, those who are in their tweens and even early teens, some of these things don't take a, an extreme situation to set them over the edge. It could just be that they feel hopeless in life because they lack the tools to deal with the normal things. Have you seen anything like that? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think both in the Word of God as well as, you know, our own experiential observations, and even I think through research, there's a, you know, the whole nurture and nature debate. Sure. And in dealing with individual differences and in people. There's certainly a genetic component because certain people, their their temperament, you know, is is a part of what they're born with. And then you add to that the unique complexities of someone's life, his or her upbringing, and all of that. And when you, for instance, when you shared part of your testimony of growing up and seeking perfectionism, and I asked you the question, was that because you weren't receiving 
attaboys from your parents? Or was that your perception? And you, and then reflecting back, you go, well, I'm not really sure about whether or not they did or didn't, but I know I felt that way. So the Bible talks about the old ways of our thinking in the past, right? And our human bodies, the flesh, which obviously includes the brain, then are shaped in patterns, uh, habituations, and inclinations. So we all have that unique combination of the human body, the way we think. When I say we, I mean each of us as individuals. Our emotional state, our propensities that we were born with. Are we strong-willed? Are we compliant? All of that kind of stuff. And then whatever the complexities are of growing up. And it might be in a good environment or a poor environment. We might have perceptions that are not based in any reality, but the way we see things. And until we get to the place where we begin to be set free from all of that, which is the born-again experience in the Lord Jesus Christ, and in the ongoing process of learning God's truth through the Bible, then we begin to reflect back and look back and what the Bible talks about in terms of confessing sin. A part of that is learning to agree with God about who I am in my complexities. And then I can see it, I can point to it, and I can begin to work on it through prayer and incorporating God's truth in my life. So, so children oftentimes are just reacting from what in the vernacular might be just their gut instinct. And then that child's world reinforces it. Sometimes uh, pleasantly through reward and sometimes unpleasantly through punishment. And other times it's kind of mixed up because I know sometimes as a parent, I would say something to, especially my daughter, Jessica, I meant it as an encouragement, <laughs> but it wasn't. She, well, her, her, her thing was, you know, why do you think you need to encourage me? I mean, she might not have said that, but there's something wrong with me that dad thinks he's got to encourage me. Mm. And later in life, she would tell me these things. So, so it backfired. She would, yeah. Or, <laughs> or other times when we'd have a discussion and so she's so bright and so perceptive, I would just have a give and take, you know, and I'm in my mind, it was just a, Awesome. You know, we're talking about some stuff I didn't anticipate from, you know, a 15-year-old or whatever at the time. And then as an adult, she would go, remember that one time and we were talking? Da -da -da -da. Yeah, yeah, I remember that conversation. She hasn't been one of them times when you should have just listened. <laughs> and I went, Wait, I thought it was just a conversation. I know, Dad, it wasn't you. Y you were, I was, I was having a grown-up conversation with dad and I was giving all the signals for that and you uh, accommodated that conversation and you treated me like a young adult with respect. But in my immaturity, she said, I was reading it as, you know, I wish you would just pat me on the back and say, way to go. That's some good, you know, good thinking or whatever. But instead, I'd, you know, it was a give and take conversation. So I'm like, so half the time when we were talking, I, and I was attempting to encourage you and the encouragement backfired. And half the time when we were talking, <laughs> when I thought we were having a give and take, and discouraged you because I wasn't encouraging you. That's kind of a lose-lose for the dad. And 
she and she's like, yeah, I'm not blaming you. I'm just explaining. And this is, was part of her process of growing up, you know, in her 20s and whatnot. And as I talked with a lot of people, it's the same thing. So sometimes in our childhood, it's it's just who we are. So we're all different, which is, I think, why in the scriptures, God says, you know, train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. That train up a child in the way he should go can, in part, be understood as according to that child's bent trying to discover who that particular unique human being is. So hopelessness is sometimes really the result of aversive, detrimental things happening to us over and over again. And sometimes it's how we look at life and then the complexities that go along with life. Sorting through all that's really important for a person who wants in his or her life with Jesus Christ to learn how to put the flesh away, the past away, the, the sin away, and then and abide carefully in the new way of thinking that Jesus gives to us. Uh, in, the, in one quick thing, in the field of sociology, there's a term, a phrase called learned helplessness. And learned helplessness is a response a person can develop in the face of overwhelming adversity, just a, re a repetition of negative things going on in a person's life. So pervasive childhood trauma, per pervasive childhood neglect, or pervasive childhood permissiveness can cause a young person to grow up feeling helpless. I am helpless because that's what they've learned. Life has dished to them a losing hand in every every shuffle and of the deck, right? They keep losing, they keep losing, they keep losing, they keep losing. Eventually they learn that they're helpless. And in feeling helpless, they now have no hope. Yeah. That would kind of go along with the, the constant victim mentality, but in a different sense. Yeah. Yeah. They actually, yeah. So whether, whether they're perceiving it that way or it actually is that way, doesn't matter. They are a victim. Yeah. So Allison, yeah. I had talked to her about, uh, about these topics and she actually brought up two really interesting ones I want to address too because I think they they really do build into I think one is nowadays bigger than it ever was and probably brings about a lot more hopelessness than it did before the other one has been going on for many years but she actually brought up the point of social social media and the news movies we see a lot of this glamour around other people's lives because they only share the good things. They don't see, you know, the ins and outs or the woofs. What's the term you use? The whoop and woof? Warp and woof of life. Warp and whoop of life. I know that's that's one of your your catchphrases. But, yeah, we don't see that in their lives. All we see on Facebook or Instagram or whatever it is, all we see is these great things where – they are tanning in the sun or their kids are creating this wonderful masterpiece. And you just, oh, wow, they're so happy. How come I'm not like that? How come my family isn't like that? So we see this constant glamour of everyone else's life and, and we compare to them and we think, well, clearly I'm, I'm doing something wrong. My life is hopeless. Look at them. They don't struggle in their house. They've got just as many kids as I do. And look, they're always smiling. And so we don't see the other 23 hours and 58 minutes of their day. <laughs> yeah. And we only see this little two minute video of the cutest thing that their kid did that day. So I think that can bring up a level of hopelessness that probably many in other centuries didn't experience because they just, they didn't have that. And then the second one was she brought up examples 
through faith that could do this, but it's a, it's a wrong type of faith. And we've talked about this before, actually last month. And it goes back to what well, we, even this month with the legalism, she said, you know, in her own case, praying for the desires of her heart and either the timing of the answer was not as expected or she didn't get the desired outcome that she wanted. And other times with this works-based theology, if I read my Bible enough, I avoid worldly temptations enough, be kind enough, love all, go to church and volunteer enough, then I will win the approval of God. I will earn his blessings. I will earn my righteousness. And when those things don't happen or we're not feeling that effect, it can lead to that feeling of hopelessness. Like this, this life is supposed to be the Christian life of joy and of, of love and of peace. And when I, when I live my life like that, I'm not experiencing that. Or we even said what yesterday on our discipleship group, if I wait for the experience of God and the only experience that I, I know of God is in like a worship service where it's just, I'm feeling it. My, my tears are running down and I'm like, yes, God, this is amazing. I feel your presence. Okay. But if that's the only definition of our experiencing God, we may only experience God once a month, once every quarter, twice a year, maybe. And what about the rest of the year when he's actually present with us, but we don't know. I feel hopeless. Oh, God is so far away from me. Well, and, and I don't say that in that sense to, to be, you know, patronizing. But at the same time, we, we have this, this belief in experiencing God that can bring about hopelessness. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, I, the Bible says God's with me all the time, but I don't feel so, you know, that, that really does change our belief in ourselves because then it goes, well, if God's, if I'm doing all these things and God's not with me, then something's wrong with me. I'm, I'm not, I'm not living the life. Maybe God is punishing me. Maybe I have pervasive sin in my life. And therefore, you know, I, he just, he, he's hiding his face from me. So I think this was actually a really good example that I, I hadn't even thought of because when we don't quite understand this abiding, we call it abiding theology. When we don't understand what Jesus is really talking about in John 15 with the vine and the branch and getting all of our nutrients from that, then we only look for small portions of God in our life. And we can feel like he's left me. He's not with me. And then that changes my, how, I, how I perceive others. Oh, well, God's clearly with them and he's not with me. And so I can pray and I say, well, I know he's going to answer my prayer for these people, but he's not going to answer my prayer. Ricky, you don't know how many single parents that I've talked to in these groups that believe that same thing that I myself believed, especially after the after a divorce or after a loss. Oh, I know when I pray, I have faith that God will answer my prayer for them, but he's not going to answer a prayer for me. That that's a to me, looking at that, that's a form of hopelessness. I'm yeah. hopeless that God will not bless me, but he'll bless yeah. other people. Yeah, I think you've, uh, you could just put all the notes away at this point. <laughs> <laughs> because you have clearly articulated the common thread. When you look at the last two episodes, legalism, perfectionism, you can put any other ism in there that you want to. They are all symptomatic responses to hopelessness because hopelessness is I'm not getting what I want or what I need. I desire something, right? So you can have a godly desire or you can have lust, right? And even a godly desire might not be fulfilled because you don't know how to do it. So we end up without, 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 without. And as you put it, rather than the big filler of the hole in our soul, which is God, we resort to all these little tiny fillers. Sure. Legalism, perfectionism, you know, competition, 
riches, alcohol, sex, you know, uh, the social media glamour of, you know, look how tan I am, look how beautiful I am, look how strong I am, you know, look at my physique, or the glamour of gloom, because there's an equal number of people who celebrate gloom on social media. What what do you mean by that? Uh, they they get kudos, they get they get applause, they get attaboys, pats on the back, they get embraced by being transparent about their faults. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, uh, blogging and posting about their their faults, their failures, their daily failures. The proud humility is that yes uh, the so which but God still accepts me God loves me you know I just still ain't getting it right well okay that's true for all of us right so uh, I don't know the the young entrepreneur you know boy I was up hard got up at four thirty crack of dawn I was working hard and then this happened and this happened and this happened oh well I just keep pressing on because. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Next day, same story, different circumstances. Um, the young, the, the the you know the father with teenagers, you know. Uh, oh well, I'll just continue to be faithful until my my son finally understands what I'm trying to tell him. Uh, the young mother with you know taking care of three children, you know. But God understands my frustrations and why I yelled at my children, right? All of those kind of things, and there's a million of them, the, the glamour of gloom. But all of that because we're in need of attention, we're in need of significance, we're in need of, of meaning and purpose, and that's what we talk about all the time. And without that, there's a hopelessness of, and a despair. I just think when we, when we narrow in on the term hope, while it's general to all of those, it becomes specific when a person realizes all of this stuff's not working, right? And therefore, they feel really hopeless. That could be a person who believed God said one thing, but in reality, God never said it. Maybe a preacher said that God said it. Maybe mom and dad led somebody to believe that God said it, but God didn't say it. So it can come through misunderstanding, and sometimes it can just come through the lessons that we have to learn. I think of the prophet Jeremiah in the Old Testament, when God called him as a young man in Jeremiah chapter 1. You know, I want you to go to the nations, and especially want you to go to my people and tell them this is what the Lord said. Jeremiah said, not me. <laughs> I don't know anything. I don't what, you know. And God said, no, I will be with you. I'll tell you what to say. And so Jeremiah sets out on the path of being God's prophet. And ooh, man, as the folks did not like what he was saying, but it was what God wanted him to say. And they, they persecuted him. Jeremiah's life was horrible, you know, I encourage anybody to go to the Old Testament, read about Jeremiah, read the two books, Jeremiah and Lamentations, especially. They're both written by him. And it's autobiographical about his life as well as the nation of Israel and, and Judah, the, the people of God. But I mean, he just, he's totally beat up and mistreated and persecuted and, and despised, spit on living on the garbage dump outside of town, tossed in an empty cistern, you know, to, you know, to perish. Um, and there's any number of, any number of things that happened to him. And in the book of Lamentations in chapter three, he kind of reaches a, a, the pinnacle in which he, he says things and he's talking to God and he says things like this. I'm a man who's seen affliction by the rod of your wrath. <laughs> it was God who said, I'll be with you. I'll protect you. He's driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. 
My skin and my flesh grow old. My bones have been broken. I'm besieged and surrounded by bitterness and hardship. I ended up dwelling in the darkest, like those long dead, in the darkness like those well dead. I was walled in and I could not escape. I was weighed down by my chains. I cried out for help, but he shut out, he shut out my prayer. He's literally talking to God as though God failed to deliver on his promises. Well, there were other things happening in Jeremiah's life, but he ended up focusing on the negative things, right? And they were terribly negative things. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong. He goes on and on for 17 verses that way. Comes to verse 18 of Lamentations 3. And so here's what I say. My splendor is gone and all that I had hoped for from the Lord. This is always weighing his fist in the air talking to God. I'm through with you. I'm done with you. You said you'd be here for me. And look at my life. I'm done with you, God. Well, this is the prophet of God, you know, in his private prayer. But then he goes on, he says, And while I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall, I must also remember that my soul is downcast within me. And this also I must call to mind. I remember, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O Lord. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I'll wait for him. Sounds like he literally problem. is looking back now, being reminded of previous truth given to him and other writers in the Old Testament. He, in fact, is alluding to direct passages that came before his writing. And I will remember of your faithfulness. So there's got to be something to compensate for the losses. And if the compensation is turning to the bottle or marijuana or destructive sexual behavior or anger, those will fail us again and again and again. But the Lord will always, always undertake for us. Even, Chris, even if my walk as a, an abiding follower of Jesus is filled with lots of turmoil, ultimately I know that my time here on earth is short and glory awaits. Uh, the presence of God in the midst of turmoil is far greater than all the riches of, of earth. And those of us that have suffered greatly and abided greatly know that. And the Bible teaches that. And that's what we're here for is to offer that hope, right? Um, I'm starting to ramble again. I said I wasn't going to do that. Wow. We'll cut you off next time. So I was thinking while you were saying that, when you talk about hope, I think that's such a great example through Jeremiah's words that you can clearly see the hopelessness in his words. I, I don't think there's many of us who haven't suffered through the hopelessness and have not said those words, you know, that you paraphrase there. I'm done with you, God. You're not holding up your end of this bargain. Yeah. And, but then we see it and, and that's the presence of God that we're talking about is when that scripture came up into his head, it was a moment that he said, oh, you're, you're here with me. Okay. Yeah. Right. And so going on with hope though, and with the trials, I have one of the, the groups where we're in Romans five and in Romans five, starting in verse one. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, 
Now, this is going to go to that abiding theology, right? Where it's not works-based. It's not all that. Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So there's a lot of points there that we see. One, the Holy Spirit's given to us. So God is with us. Two, all of this is predicated on the fact that God gave us justification in our lives through this faith in Christ. So then all of these sufferings we go through, all of the the Jeremiah moments that we we find our own lives in, it's okay because when we make it through that, understanding that our status, you know, our, our life book status is already set to justified mm-hmm. slash righteous. And all of these posts that happen that show our sufferings, it's okay because he's with us through it all. He suffered and, and therefore he's with us in the suffering. So then after we get through some of these difficulties, then all of a sudden now we can find that we persevered. We made it through. Those things didn't end our life as we suspected they would. And so because they didn't end our lives, depending on what we put our hope, the, the only thread of hope that got us through that, built character around that. So did we survive by going onto a bottle? Did we survive by falling into a, an unhealthy relationship? Did we survive on the makeup of our friendship? Or did we survive on the hope that maybe God is with me and maybe God will get me through this? Mm-hmm. And maybe that's only one strand of that thin bit of hope. But then all of a sudden when we come out, we can look back and say, okay, well, something got me through this. And if we're introspective enough, we can look and say, okay, what were the things that I hoped would get me through this? Maybe it was God. So then now our character is built around that. Well, okay, I know who I am because at least God showed up in this one instance. Maybe it was an unhealthy thing that we held on to during that time. You know, you mentioned the bottle. That could be alcohol. That could be opiates. That could be something like that. So then the next time we go through a trial, that was our only hope last time. Well, if it lets us down, then our character is shot and we start from scratch. But if even the tiniest thread came from God, now our character is built on that. I have the character of being known by God, supported by God. And then maybe this verse that is in scripture is actually telling me the truth. And so as I build more hope off of that character, that I have. Now I find each time I make it through a little bit easier. I make it through a little bit stronger. So the the way this all responds in my head is as we read God's word, this is why it's so important as we go through the abiding portion of this. How do we abide through and break through this spiritual disease? Well, it starts in God's word. The more that we read God's word, it's not this punchline, right? That the pastor says on said, oh, you need to read your Bible every day. Yeah, but why? Why do you need your, to read your Bible every day? If you remember, if you've been with us for a while, or if you want to go back about this exact episode last year, in the end of September, we talked about overcoming, or rather not overcoming, but preparing for the storm. Then in the month of October, I believe we went through four different instances of people going through the storm. But what did that start at? How did we prepare for that storm? It started in God's word. The more that I hid his word into my heart, the more I was defined by his word. Now, it's not just reading. I, I use the term that the psalmist in 119 used, which is hiding God's word in my heart. So I could read God's word as a fiction story, right? I can read it as... A nonfiction, you know, a, a who's who, what's what kind of book. But it really has no transformative power in my life because I don't give it that. I just read it as, oh, yeah, this is this is fact and and that's fine. But when I truly hide it in my heart, when I treasure that word, then I'm not just 
putting it on a mantle and saying it's good. Like I want to know about this treasure. I want to to find out what this you know there's that old antiques roadshow where people bring in their the old antiques, right? I don't know if it's still on, but that was a big thing as I was growing up and people would be like, "I I've had this for many years and I think it's worth money. Tell me about it." Right? And so then it becomes a treasure. There's a backstory behind it. We learn about it. It's not just a piece. It's not just a token that we have. So God's word turns into a treasure in that sense where we don't just have it. Instead, we treasure it. What does this actually mean about me? So then all of a sudden this treasure starts to define who I am. Then as I, I learn more who I am and I go through a trial, the sufferings that Paul talks about, and then all of a sudden I find out, wait a minute, uh, if that was true, and I think it is, then this thing I'm going through is not as big as I, I believe it to be. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it is, but, but God's going to be with me through it. Then I come out at the other end and I say, yep, there's one instance. I trusted God in this small little thing. I lost my keys. He helped me get through it. All these other things I had to push off in my day, I thought my day was over. But God was with me in this small little. Now, I can't trust him with the big thing, but I can trust him with this little thing. So now my hope increases. Well, if I could trust him in this one tiny thing, then maybe I can do it with this two tiny thing. And then this four tiny thing, then this 10. It's almost like the parable of talents backwards. Now I can trust God with more of my life. It's not because he wasn't trustworthy, but because my faith wasn't there. So the more I read God's word, the more I put my hope in him, the more my hope is not misplaced, as Paul says, when he says, our hope does not put us to shame, but instead, because of God's love poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, now our hope is actually put to the level it needed to be. So now my faith grows, and as my faith grows, I can put more hope in his word. And as I put more hope in his word, you can see this positive cyclical cycle that continues to build up and it transforms my life. That's when we talk about abiding through something. That's the that's the start. The pillar that we say is reading God's word for transformation. And then the flip side of that is listening to the leading and prompting of the Holy Spirit. And that's through God's word, just like Jeremiah saw, just like Paul is talking about. Man, that's fantastic. It's and I like it's it's beautiful too because while you're explaining it, it's happening in real time. Because um, we, you know, our preparation for these podcasts is the ongoing work of Bible study and teaching and reflecting that we're involved in. But we don't have a script for what we're doing and and every time we we have these discussions you or I Allison when we've had guests on people are prompted by the Holy Spirit to look at certain passages of scripture and while you were talking when just before you started to uh, share that from the Apostle Paul in a, in my sharing from Jeremiah, where Jeremiah in verse 18 of Lamentations chapter 3 says, you know, and all my hope in Yahweh is gone. And then in just a few breaths later, and yet this I will bring to mind, you know, great is your faithfulness that is new every morning. In that, in that he, one of the things he said was, because of the Lord's great love, we're not consumed. We're not, we're not completely, you know, consumed. He's gone through really, really rotten stuff, but he's not completely washed up, beaten up, destroyed. For God's compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, God. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. Well, the Lord is my portion, I will wait for him, is a quote. (laughs) And you and I didn't discuss this, but now you just talked about Psalm 119, about I will hide God's word away in my heart. And, And before you began to say that, in my mind, 
I was searching, I know that statement in verse 24 of Lamentations 3, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. But where at, Lord, where is that in the Bible? <laughs> where does that come from? Where did Jeremiah quote that? Well, where did he quote it from? He quoted it from Psalm 119, verse 57. Here's what it says. You are my portion, O Lord. I have promised to obey your words. God is his portion. He's literally quoting Psalm 119. And Psalm 119 is the pinnacle passage in Scripture that talks about we must hide God's word away in our heart so that it's in us, in our thinking, in our mind for the work of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to bring it back to our memory. And so while we're talking about it, wanting to help people to see, well, how can I see God's presence in the midst of all my hopeless circumstances? And the primary way is when God resurfaces his word in our, in our thought life. And the passages that are talking about that and the passages that we were led by the Holy Spirit to share, you and I, without collaboration, end up being in the same vein. So as you're explaining, Paul, where'd you go to? You went to Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11. I will hide your word in my heart. I will treasure it in my heart. I'll lay it up that it'll always be there for you to use for me in my life, Lord. And God is my portion is exactly where Jeremiah went, which is also in Psalm 119. Thousands of years removed, hundreds of years removed from Jer Jeremiah and the writer of the psalm. And three different groups of people, the psalmist and whoever the psalmist was involved in with, Jeremiah and whoever he was involved with, and you and me and whoever we're involved with, but one constant God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit reminding us of really significant truth through the mechanism that he promised. Hide my word away, and in real time, I will share it with you and you can share it with others. Now, so right here, right now, is the very thing we've been talking about. And hopelessness comes from all the aversive things that happen in our life, all the negative, hurtful things, the losses that we experience in life. They stack up, and we're like, if there is a God, he doesn't care about me. My friends don't really understand me. My loved ones, they don't really understand me. I'm alone here, God. Well, I don't even know why I'm talking to you, God. I'm not sure you're there. But if you are there, it seems like you're not there. I feel so all alone. It's the losses. And there has to be something as great as the losses. In fact, greater. And we have to experience that spiritually and emotionally and completely. And knowing that God was in the conversation with us is a powerful, powerful solution, antidote, answer to the hopelessness that we, we incur. So rather than looking for a specific hope, like... I don't have any work. The income's not coming in. I hope I get a job tomorrow. That's that's reasonable. I'm lonely at night. I need a, a, a loved one to be near me. That's reasonable. But the abiding follower of Jesus has all of that all of the time. And so back to what you were saying, it's unfortunate when people only feel as though 
they experience God when they have an emotional response, like to music or yeah, somebody tells a powerful story or or somebody has a, an incredibly wonderful experience. When that feeling, that connection is available all the time, like it's happening for you and me right now. And I'm thankful, God, thank you for sharing truth in the mind and heart of Chris that resonates with my heart, the same truth that resonated with Jeremiah's heart, the same truth that resonated with the, the author of the Psalms' heart. We're separated by miles. Those men of the past were separated from by thousands of years. But the one true, infinite, eternal God speaks the same truth to all, all four of us. In one sense, you know, so we go, boy, that's kind of egotistical. You think God talked to you like he did Jeremiah. Well, he's never promised to give us new revelation, but he has promised to give us old revelation. And while Jeremiah was writing Lamentations, new inspiration, in the middle of that, God illuminated him with older inspiration, passages from the psalmist, passages from the historical books of the Bible and elsewhere. To me and to you and to the abiding Christian, this is the essence of hope. That hope is not vain. It's not only looking to the future, though it certainly does for the ultimate fulfillment. But I wake up hopeful rather than hopeless because I know regardless of my circumstances, God is with me. God is speaking to me. God is fellowshipping with me. Yeah. Yeah. So hopelessness is kind of like the penultimate equalizer. It takes all the other junk and says, you, you'll never make it through all that stuff. That's why people are hopeless. People who are perfectionists, they probably don't know they're perfectionists. People who are legalists, they probably don't know they're legalists. People who are reclusive, they, they just are. They're just going through things the best they know how. Because they've lost hope one place or another. Same answer, abiding in the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. And the last part of abiding, we talked about scripture. The other one was taking that new mindset that we have from scripture and surrendering it. Right? Wow. I could I could know who I am in Christ, but when I try to take control of a situation, I find myself like Abraham when he was giving up his wife to some random dude. I find yeah. myself like Josiah, the boy king, who knew who he was. He made all these great edicts and changes in the kingdom, and then he went to fight Egypt. And the Lord said, don't do it. And he went to fight anyway, wiped out, killed. Could have had such an amazing life, but no, nope, he, he took control, even though he knew who he was. We see that all throughout Scripture, people that, knew who they were, but instead of surrendering to the Lord, they took control of it. And the result was no bueno. It was not good. Yeah. So taking what we know we are, righteous, justified, at peace with God, with the Holy Spirit inside of us. And even as scripture comes to my brain, if I go through a situation and instead I say, you know what? I've got this one, God, going back to the control from uh, a week ago. I got this one, God. I know what your word says, so I'm going to take this one. Well, that's simply not going to be abiding because abiding says the Lord is my portion, right? So if he's my portion, he's also my Lord. How can I say someone is Lord over me 
if I don't let them rule. If I'm my own ruler, then I'm my own Lord. So in order for the fullness of abiding to occur, I need to learn how to live with this dependence on God, not for just the big things, but for the little things. How do I discipline my child through this situation? They just, they did some crazy stuff. I, I don't, I'm not capable of this. I don't know. I've tried everything. And that's like me. I've tried everything to discipline my son, to try to help change his heart or steer it the right direction. None of it's worked. So I have to rely on the Lord to provide me the wisdom and discernment. I can't, I can't get, keep taking control of it. Other situations, you know, with, with strife and conflict and interpersonal relationships, I can't take control of those. Regardless of what wisdom God has given me, if I take control and I do it in what I see is best, and it's over. It's over at that time. So that doesn't mean to be hands off and don't do anything. But that also doesn't mean that I need to draw up the battle plans and I need to look three or four steps ahead in this scenario. That means that I'm I'm living each day talking with God and saying, listen, Lord, I don't know what to do. I need your discernment. I need your wisdom. Help bring to mind scripture that will help me understand what I'm supposed to do in this situation. And that's continuously when we do that, then we can start to see that illumination of the Holy Spirit, that that leading and prompting of the Holy Spirit through God's word. Just like I explained before when I had that conflict at work and I was trying to make sure that this particular bully would not continue to bully other people. And eventually I get Nehemiah talking about Sambalit and Geshem, the Arab. And he said, just ignore him. You're, you're already doing a work, right? So yeah, I think, um, I think that the scripture is a huge part of it, but learning how to surrender and submit the two dirty S words, how to surrender and submit to God's authority and sovereignty is really going to be how you stay a branch and not a very well put together stick on the ground. Yeah. I, amen. To all, <laughs> to all of that. I, uh, I don't have anything else to add to that. Well, I do, but <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It, I, I just am overwhelmed with the desire that that people will get this particular aspect because while it's not emotion is not the goal of abiding as though I have to have an overwhelming experiential event to know the presence of God. Thus, the desire for those exciting worship times, those mountaintop experiences that people look for, or the skeptic who says, well, if God, if I see a miracle, I'll believe in God, right? Sure. Those types of things where we're looking for the spectacle or the spectacular. But the satisfaction of the fullness of humanity, mentally, physically, socially, spiritually, and emotionally, on a routine basis, is necessary for survival. That's why people who are hopeless go to all those fillers to get self-medicated, to feel high feel better right they're all temporary but it's a part of the human condition well those five markers the social well-being the mental well-being the physical well-being the the spiritual well-being and the emotional well-being is satisfied all the time in what you and i've been talking about this this morning and, and in our other podcasts that's what God wants to do. And that's what Emmanuel translated God with us 
That's the promise of the coming Messiah. Not just that Israel would be saved, not just that the church can be created, not just so that good works can be fulfilled, but that wherever we're at, whoever we're with or not with, whatever our circumstances are like, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the, the Christ, the Savior, is always with us. And we can literally experience that in the abiding process. It changed, it immediately changed the outlook of Jeremiah. He went from utter despair and hopelessness, and through the reminder of the Spirit of God, sharing with him the Word of God, he came back to his senses. That's happened for you. It's happened for me. It's last night in my small group. I saw it happen. Um, one one case in particular, a young lady, you know, whose life has been transformed miraculously by God. We we're talking about certain truths. And she said, can I share something? And she shared from First Thessalonians chapter 5. And there's a... a, a a phrase in the passage there that's kind of culminating this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. And it says, pray without ceasing. And you go, what, is that possible to pray without ceasing? And she shared it because she's in, in her walk with the Lord. She was giving him praise that she understands now that you actually can pray without ceasing. You can be in a conversation with God all the time. You can be reminded of God's presence all the time because of illumination. And she has an emotionally, socially, physically, mentally, and spiritually satisfying relationship now that's constant with God because of learning what we, we talk about on the podcast. That's not us. That's God doing that work. Uh, it's god's word that we keep referring to that does that work because it's Absolutely. god's truth because yeah. it's god's truth and it's god himself who's giving it to and it's god who reminded her of that last night and so i asked the question are there other passages she goes yeah lots that he's sharing with me but this one just seemed really pertinent to what we were talking about and when and in knowing her i the word of God comes to her now, whereas in the past it never came to her because she wasn't pouring it away into her life and she wasn't seeing the connectors. So she is a hopeful person. The, you're a hopeful man. There were days a few, three or four years ago, <laughs> I wasn't so sure, you know, you had, you know, and on all the wonderful positive things that were going on in your life, especially your children, right? But some of the chaos and the turmoil and adversity was weighing you down a great deal. And to begin to experience the presence of God made all the difference in the world, of, of course, right? Yeah. Of course, you know. And... So once again, dear listener, I please get past us and please get past me and my rambling ways <laughs> and get to the You're word born of God. A rambling man. Yeah. Get to God, get to his truth. Yeah. That's great. I just, I want to finish with one little bit of scripture. I'm not going to describe it, but Matthew 28, 20, part B, if you will. And surely, this is Jesus speaking, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The last words recorded by Matthew. So he's with us. I'm into that. Well, let's, let's pray. Lord God, we pray that this month, this series of overcoming, Lord, materialism, overcoming legalism, overcoming control, overcoming helplessness, 
Lord, I pray that our listeners and anyone they get to talk to, Lord, we pray that they'll find that hope in you, that they'll find the more they hide away your word in their heart, the more they look forward to its transformative power, the more they'll hear from you through your word, the more that the situations in their life that appear hopeless, that appear to be overwhelming, they're countered with your word, just like you did with Jeremiah the prophet, just like you've done with Ricky, with that young lady, with myself, with many others. And I pray that they experience that fullness, that they can experience what Jesus was telling the disciples, that I am with you always, even into the end of the age. Lord, you said it. You said it yourself. And you have no capability of lying. So we know that that is true, not only for the disciples, but for us. So confirm that in our heart each day when we wake up, Lord. We love you. We thank you that you're so faithful, that you are compassionate and intentional in our lives, and that you seek us for this fellowship, that you really do desire this eternal fellowship with us, not only in the, in the temporal time as we're on earth, but also in the eternity afterwards. Lord. So we, we thank you that you have brought about that through your grace and mercy, and through faith in that hope, we're justified and made righteous. In the name of Elohim, in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, sir. Yes, sir. So we want to end with an important scripture that reminds us to abide in him. John 14, 23. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. As you walk through this week, we encourage you to review the scriptures and themes we talk about and ask the Holy Spirit to team up with you to bring this information to life personally in your walk. Thank you for listening, and God bless.